Welcome to the Sword and Trial podcast. Sword and Trial is a ministry of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. And I'm Tom Askell. And I'm Graham Gundon. We're glad to have you with us again to d- today for this week's episode of the Sword and the Trial. And uh, we have a lot of things going on at Founders. We've um, are now into February of the new year. It's hard to believe this is 2023. Just coming off of our national conference a few That's weeks right. ago. Yeah, which is wonderful. And praise God for the good things that were accomplished there. Uh, we're already looking forward to next year's conference. We're going to tell you more about that in a moment. But we also have uh, a special sale going on on a new book that we think that you're going to greatly appreciate. It's timely. It's very important for what's going on in our world today. It's called The Beauty of the Binary, Male and Female. He created them. Grant right, Luke Griffin. Yeah, tell us about yeah, this. Yeah, uh, Ali Bastucki wrote a, a great um, review of it. She said, The world's attempt to subvert the gender binary is perhaps the most destructive example of the moral chaos of our day. And Christians must be equipped to clearly oppose it. The beauty of the binary provides Christians with a thorough biblical defense of the necessity of male and female distinctions. Readers will finish confident in their ability to give an answer for God's good design and gender. And it really, I mean, the distinction between male and female, even in the church, you know, we, we so often get these things off when we talk about the differences between egalitarianism, complementarianism, patriarchy, all those things. And I think that uh, this will be very helpful for Christians. Yeah, and the book is on sale for a pre-order right now. It's not quite off the press, but you can pre-order it for $15 and go to founders.org, the bookstore, and you can find it there. We'll put a link also in the notes of this episode. Another thing we want to remind you of is the Institute of Public Theology. Uh, We made an important announcement, exciting announcement at the Founders Conference that IOPT is now offering degrees. And so we have degree tracks where you can earn a Bachelor of Arts in Public Theology. Uh, You can also earn a Master of Arts in Public Theology or an MDiv and then uh, various graduate certificates as well in Biblical Exposition or Public Theology. Uh, We are going to have all of this up on the website very soon, but you can call the office if you want more information on it. Scott Callahan is our new dean in the uh, Institute of Public Theology, and he has worked together with others to put these degree plans in place. And right now, if you apply for IOPT, the application fee is waived, and that's going to be going on for the next couple of weeks. So go to instituteofpublictheology.org and you can get more information about these various degree programs and how uh, they might fit into where you are in life and what it is that you want to do to sharpen your skills and your usefulness in Christ's kingdom. Well, next year's theme for the conference is Remember Jesus Christ. We're going to be talking about the supremacy of Christ, and uh, that's a vitally important topic. It's something that we want to not only announce for uh, folks to sign up for. There's an early registration fee that you can get in on right now. We've got Burt Parsons coming, uh, Conrad and Bayway, Phil Johnson, Travis Allen will all be here with us to address this theme. Those are all wonderful preachers of God, and there's nothing to be preached above or beyond or instead of Jesus Christ. And yet so often we can do that. We Mm -hmm. can try to be very careful exegetically and linguistically and miss Christ. And, uh, and I've done that. I mean, this is a, it's a personal sorrow of mine that I'll carry with me to my grave, but early in my pastoral ministry, uh, you know, I was doing everything I could to be careful. I wanted to be a, a faithful expositor of God's word. And so all of my grammatical historical training was kicking in. I was making sure that I understood the connection between the verbs and subjects and objects and all of that. 
and went through a spell uh, for probably about six to eight months or so of just really being dry. You know, I was handling the text, preaching the text, praying, doing what I knew to do. But uh, just for some reason, man, in, inside, it, there, there was just a, a dryness that was taking hold. Mm. And I, I was reading some George Whitfield sermons and came upon, I think it was three or four sermons that he had on 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 30 and 31, I think, right at the end of that chapter, and in which he talks about the sufficiency of Christ. And so I'm reading these sermons, man, and God just used that to just open my eyes, go back and look at my preaching, and to realize that though I was dealing with the words on the page, I wasn't seeing that in the whole context of God's revelation mm-hmm. of himself in Jesus Christ. And uh, God convicted me. It was humbling. I went back and started reworking the way that uh, I was preaching. I actually was going to a conference not long after that, and that's what I just uh, zeroed in and and preached from those verses at the end of 1 Corinthians 1 for uh, that particular conference. And and God used that in my life to stir me up. Years later, I discovered Lord Jones had something Mm -hmm. similar happen to him. Somebody came to him and said, your sermons are great. You just miss Christ. You know, what are you talking about? So that, that God used that to, to encourage me somewhat, but it's possible for Bible believers, conservatives to miss Christ, assume Christ, assume the gospel. And we don't want to do that. Yeah. Well, you know, when you're preaching a text or, you know, any text, there's so much there. Uh, there's good moral instruction, and Christians should never want to discount moral no. instruction. There's wisdom there. Um, there's just didactic teaching there. And so there's so much there that you could focus in on and that you can give to your people that's good. Uh, but if you don't have Christ in the sermon, you know, you, you tend towards legalism, you tend towards moralism, you tend towards all sorts of different things. And Christ needs to be the substance of, of all of those things. He needs to be essential in all those things. And not just the idea of Christ, but, but who he is and his work and his ministry as right. well and yeah. what he came to do. You know, the, the, the gospel is central to the Bible. I mean, the, the Genesis three fifteen they have that uh, initial announcement of what's coming in mm-hmm. God's work of salvation to redeem his people from sin. And then the whole rest of the Bible is just the unfolding of that mm-hmm. promise and the accomplishment of that promise with the coming of Jesus Christ. And so you don't read anything in the Bible rightly unless you see it in connection with what God is doing to reveal Christ and his saving work for sinners. Jesus made this very plain himself. You you search the scriptures and then you think you find life and and indeed life is there because they testify of me and all the scriptures from Mm -hmm. Moses and the prophets are from, are about me. He he did that to the disciples on the Emmaus road. Uh, he, He makes the claim in no uncertain terms. So we need to follow Jesus in his instruction about, okay, the whole Bible is about Christ. And we haven't seen anything rightly till we've seen it in relationship to Jesus Christ. So the conference next year is going to try to underscore that, highlight that, demonstrate how the whole Bible does indeed reveal Christ. I'm reminded of um, uh, Galatians 1, where Paul just, he, he doesn't commend the Galatians, which he always does in his letters. You know, he says, I thank God for you. He doesn't say any of that to the churches of Galatia. He gets right to the point. He gets to the point. He says, I'm astonished you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, turning to a different gospel. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are churches that he himself established through his apostolic ministry, and he rebukes them right out of the gate that they have forsaken Christ, that they miss Christ. Well, what's going on there? Well, it's not that they just said, hey, we no longer want anything to do with Jesus. They began to take 
other ideas about Jesus. And you read through Galatians, what do you discover? Uh, they began to follow teachers who said, yeah, Jesus is important, but you got to have Jesus plus. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be a Christian, you got to be a Jew first, or you got to be circumcised. you got to keep these rituals, because if you don't, well, then you're just missing what God's provided mm-hmm. in Jesus. So it was a, a distortion right. of who Jesus is. And we see that going on today, uh, oftentimes with good intentions. Right. People can try to proclaim Christ when in reality what they wind up proclaiming is something less than or other than the biblical Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think so often we, we do it in in an attempt to make Christ understandable to people who don't understand him, to make him uh, more attractive to people who are otherwise not attracted to Christianity. Um, we, we try to do it in, in ways that uh, we think uh, will make other people more receptive yeah. to who he is. Yeah, we, we, we want people to think, hey, Jesus gets us. that's what we want to talk about today is you've undoubtedly heard and seen about this campaign he gets us and uh i think the at least one of the large backers behind this campaign is the hobby lobby uh folks the family Mm -hmm. the greens i think the one of those family members has recently done uh some kind of public statement about that my understanding it's like a hundred million dollar campaign to put together all of the ads, mm. and if you've seen the ads during the Super Bowl or other times, they're very well done. They're mm-hmm. slick. They're uh, um, artistically refined. Except for the AI love one. That one's a little <laughs> bit creepy. Those images are a little creepy. I, I haven't watched that one, so I, I heard you listen to it, or I listened to it you, you, while you were watching it. But, yeah, that one does sound creepy uh, <laughs> just without looking at it. But what's behind this? What's behind this? Well, they tell us what's behind it. You can go to their website. And they're very upfront. They say, you know, we have an agenda. And what is their agenda? Well, they spent a lot of time, I think they said thousands of people they've interviewed, Christians from various faith backgrounds and people who are not Christians, and they're trying to just get them to understand, are trying to understand what their thinking is about Christianity and about Jesus. And um, in, in one sense, what they want to do is, to recapture what they understand to be the greatest love story in the world in a way that people will give it a hearing mm-hmm. uh, without just dismissing it because, oh, that's just those crazy Christians who hate people and hate me or don't like the way I am mm-hmm. or something. And so in that sense, okay, yeah, you know, I appreciate that motivation of wanting to get the gospel to people who desperately need the gospel who may have been inoculated against the gospel because of any number of things. Yeah, and put it in a vehicle that can get through that inoculation. You know, I think that that, you know, our Lord calls us to be uh, wise as serpents, you know, and so we have to exercise wisdom in the ways in which we proclaim the gospel to people. And we want to speak to the necessity and capacity of the hearer, as that's Westminster right. Larger Catechism says. Um, so that's all good. And, I, and I, I think there's even things that we can learn from the He Gets Us campaign in trying to think about, you know, Maybe maybe I need to think about um, ways to be less offensive in my speech. You know, Paul even says this in First Corinthians. He says, "Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks yeah. or to the Church of God." And we need to be we need to take that seriously. Yeah. Um, but 
we also have to recognize that the gospel is a rock of offense. <laughs> yeah, so um, th- the good, if we're going to say, okay, let's give the benefit of the doubt where we can, uh, they put this on their website. How did the story of a man who taught and practiced unconditional love become associated with hatred and oppression for so many people? And okay, I mean, that's undoubtedly true. They go on to say the more ideologically defensive we become, the more we're willing to sacrifice things like kindness, patience, and the respect and dignity of others for the sake of victory. All right, that's a danger as well. And Christians are called to be kind. We are called to be patient. We are called to be uh, respectful and to be loving toward people. We're to love our Mm -hmm. enemies. So we never... Uh, can find ourselves in a situation where we're justified to show kind of uh, sinful anger, bitterness, hatred toward others. Now, mm-hmm. Jesus didn't do that with us, and God loves his enemies, and we're called to be like God and to love our enemies as well. But that doesn't mean that you approve mm-hmm. of the evil in the world or the evil that those who might be your enemies or set themselves up so that you are their enemy uh, would perpetrate. And I feel like that this campaign doesn't fully weigh that or what you just said about the inherent offensiveness Mm -hmm. of the gospel. Jesus said, if they did this to me, Mm -hmm. they're going to do it to you as well. Yeah. You know, it's reading through their website again, there's a lot of good there, but it's almost like they, they act like, you know, we have felt attacked as Christians by them. They have felt attacked by us. And the solution here is to look to Jesus, who was attacked, but he didn't retaliate. He loved unconditionally. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, and there's a couple of problems there. First, um, you know, we really, the Christianity really is being attacked in mm-hmm. this culture. Um, people in this culture, people who are in elite positions in this culture, in academia or the arts or government, whatever it is, see Christianity as an impediment. It's a roadblock. It's a wall that has to be torn down in order for human flourishing to be able to take place, uh, independent, human independence, autonomy. And so there are real um, efforts to destroy Christianity or at least orthodox faithful Christianity in our culture. And so we are under attack. Mm-hmm. And Christians need to not, not ignore that. Um, but also the problem is that the, they, they say the problem is we are, we're kind of fighting with each other, we're mad at each other, and we need to look to Jesus' example, how he loved unconditionally, and we need to love each other unconditionally, and then problem solved. That's it. <laughs> but it's the wrong problem, and it's the wrong solution. Yeah. Uh, we're stewards of a message that's been handed to us. And one of the reasons we hammer the gospel in Founders Ministries, we do it in our pastoral ministry at Grace Baptist Church here in Cape Coral, is because we're always in danger of neglecting the gospel, assuming the gospel, losing the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so we don't have any rights whatsoever to rub off the hard edges of the gospel or to somehow dress it up to try to make it more palatable. Now, we ought to be seeker-friendly in our own lives. We ought to do everything we can to remove offense personally Mm -hmm. in the way we relate to people, how we treat people, how we uh, engage with people. But the gospel, we have no business whatsoever withholding any of the offense of the gospel. And so what is the gospel? We, we 
hammer this all the time in our church. And the way I say it in kind of a shorthand fashion so that anybody can get it is the gospel's a message about Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done, why that matters. And so you, you look at the person of Christ. Well, he's the eternal son of God who became a man, lived a life of perfect obedience to God's commandments. What did he do? Well, he did that life of obedience to God's commandments, and then he died on the cross under the wrath of God for sin and was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, where he rules and reigns now at the right hand of God the Father. And he will come on an appointed day. All of those things of who he is, what he's done, are inherent in the gospel. Why does that matter? Well, it matters because we're sinners. We're rebels against God. We come into this world because of sin as hating God. All of those things are somewhat offensive. They're not niceties, but they're realities that are taught in Scripture. They have Bible verses behind them. And if we're stewards of this message, we've got to be willing to say the message and not to pull punches and not to think, oh, no, if I say that, then they're going to think maybe Jesus doesn't get them. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not that. We mm-hmm. don't have that option. Uh, we have one gospel, and that gospel has been defined in the Scriptures, and we're stewards to proclaim it. We ought to do it as lovingly, as kindly, humbly as we possibly can, but we know that the message itself is offensive. One of the things that, that um, I come back to pretty regularly is looking at Jesus. You know, our master was slaughtered doing God's will. Our master was slaughtered being the only righteous man who ever lived. And he calls us to follow him. We Mm -hmm. trust him and we follow him. And if this world slaughtered Jesus, then we are duped if we think that we can somehow massage our message, our approach in a way that will cause the world to love us Mm -hmm. and acclaim us. That's not going to happen as long as we preach the message. Yeah, the the gospel, though it is offensive, it is so much more wonderful than, you know, Jesus has Joe Biden levels of empathy for us, right? Mm. It's it's not it's so much more than he gets us. Yeah. He does get us. I yeah. mean, he suffers everything that we've suffered and more. He's been tempted in every way that we've been tempted. Uh, yet he has gone through those temptations without giving in. So yes, absolutely, he gets us. Uh, he is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God who assumed human nature. So absolutely, he gets us. You know, uh, on this website, he gets us. They say we look at the biography of Jesus through a modern lens to find new relevance in often overlooked moments and themes from his life. Well, okay, uh, we haven't finished studying the life and work of Jesus Christ. We need to continually look at that and, and to see everything that the Bible reveals to us as indeed being relevant. But we've got to be careful and not to take, not to allow the deductions or assumptions we might make from what the Bible reveals mm-hmm. to be equal with biblical revelation and elevate those things and say, oh, but look at this, Jesus was an immigrant. And so all the immigrants in the world today can understand that he gets us because look at what they go through. Well, he went through that as well. Uh, man, you're on some pretty shaky ground when you mm-hmm. do that. And particularly when you do that at the expense of, to the neglect of the things that are very prominent in his life where he said, look, unless you hate your father and mother, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Okay. Well, Jesus knew family problems. This is one of their commercials. He, he knew what it was like to have family tensions, but he didn't let that stop him. Yeah. You know, okay. You got to hate mom and dad. You know, if you're (laughs) going to be my disciple, you can't neglect that. Unless, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, (laughs) you can't see the kingdom of heaven. Uh, let's see a commercial on that. Yeah, that's right. You know, you whitewash sepulchers. I mean, there, yeah. there are things like that that Jesus said and did that we can't 
pretend no longer exist because we're elevating these elements that have been overlooked that we think are vitally important that need to be highlighted to the neglect of the other. Uh, when you do that, boy, it's not the Bible you're trusting, but your mm-hmm. own judgment of what you think the Bible ought to be saying. Now, one thing that we had talked about earlier, um, you know, these commercials were aired during the Super Bowl. Um, I spent a lot of money to get them on during the Super Bowl. And, you know, I, I love, love for more Christian voices to be in such a prominent place. Mm-hmm. And we talked about, you know, what kind of commercial, Christian commercial, would the um, networks allow yeah. to be on yeah. during the Super Bowl? Maybe that was the bar of how much they could allow the Christian message to come through. Yeah. You know? Because we live in a culture which they'll allow all sorts of depravity and degenerate commercials on during the breaks and even during the, the Super Bowl. But they can't find it in themselves to allow the gospel message to come out. Yeah. I wonder, would the Super Bowl have allowed a commercial uh, of just the reading of John chapter 3? Yeah. Or Revelation 20 or Romans yeah. chapter 5? You know, certainly not Leviticus 19. They wouldn't do that. But if that's the case, then again, what are we saying here? Are we saying that, that uh, what, what are we doing, maybe inadvertently? Are we lowering and massaging the message to make it palatable mm-hmm. to the world? Um, again, Paul, you know, 1 Corinthians 9, I become all things to all men, so that I might save some. And uh, there's wisdom in personally accommodating the ignorance of people so that you can get the gospel to them. Mm-hmm. But you cannot accommodate the gospel. You can't take the gospel and make it less than it is. Yeah, and you know, perhaps these commercials were all that they could have done to get on Super Bowl time. Um, but the point of the commercials to, is to drive them to the website. Yeah, and I spent a decent amount of time on the website, and I didn't really see the gospel message. No, I there. didn't either. Um, it is talk about Jesus's forgiveness, which is great. There's talk about Jesus's love, which is great, but it's all kind of geared towards he did these things and we need to do these things too. Yeah. And so what should we do? Well, man, we ought to be, um, uh, challenged, maybe rebuked by this massive investment of resources and energy to get this message out. You know, again, grateful that people who know Jesus, love Jesus, claim Jesus, are trying to do this. Mm -hmm. uh, Think about D.L. Moody when somebody criticized his way of evangelism. He says, I like the way I do evangelism more than the way you don't do it. (laughs) And so, okay, that that is a legitimate critique. But nevertheless, uh, as we look at that, rather than just throwing stones at it, let's be motivated. And Mm -hmm. let's be motivated with the words of Scripture ringing in our ear when Paul rebukes the Galatians that you so quickly have turned away from Christ, turning to another gospel. And he goes on in Galatians 1, 7 and says this, not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so now I say again, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And he goes on, he says, now do you still think I'm just trying to please people uh, in putting it this way? You think about the, the bar that is raised in what Paul writes there. He is saying that Christian people, these are churches, he's not writing just to elders, he's writing to congregations. And he says that they must be so gospel literate, gospel fluent, understand the truth of the gospel, that even if Gabriel were to show up Sunday 
and preach something different to the biblical gospel, that God's people should be prepared to say anathema to mm. you. If Peter showed up mm. and preached something contrary to the gospel in the Bible, God's people should be so grounded in the truth of the gospel that they would say anathema. And so it's understandable that Christians would be alarmed at this gospel light mm-hmm. that is being promoted, uh, perhaps with very good intentions, but will have very disastrous consequences if what is indeed being set before folks is another gospel. Mm-hmm. Why was Paul so animated about this? Because there's only one way to God. There's only one way to be reconciled to your creator, only one way to have sins forgiven, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing. And you must know the real Christ. You must confess your sins against him and receive the gift. You've got to trust God, take him at his word, receive Christ Jesus as Lord, and you will be saved. And if the message that is going out is something less than that and the Christ that is being preached is another Christ, as Paul warns against in 2 Corinthians 11, then if you convince people and they sign up, they're signing up for something other than biblical salvation. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for joining us today. And uh, look at those commercials. Look at the website. We'll link to it so that you can go and uh, evaluate it for yourself. But if you are a follower of Christ, be motivated rather than than just throw stones. Be motivated and ask yourself, what am I doing? Am I preaching the gospel that has been once for all delivered to the saints? Am I being faithful to the gospel, not simply in maintaining its purity, but am I being energetic and trying to make it known to others so that we might see others turn from sin and come to Christ and receive him as Lord and live for him forever. That's what we want to do here at Founders. That's what we want to encourage others to do. If we can help you in that in any way, if you think that there might be resources we have that we can make available to you, please reach out to us. It'd be our joy to serve you any way we can. So thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to being with you again next week.